0: behind the curtain of the Softly Training Lab with the Softly Performance
1: Podcast. The pinnacle of human performance is out there, and we intend to find it.
0: Air quality today is
1: a 62. What, what's that out of?
0: It's is that out like of a, 500.
1: Okay. And you want it high or low?
0: Low. Okay. So i want it like in the green so like i'll show you right now it's at 57
1: okay so kind of like getting a bit dodgy getting a bit
0: yeah like yesterday was at 96 so i didn't that's why i didn't run yesterday i was like i'm not gonna oh. go run in the air quality um yeah. so like if i wanted to see what this looked like this is what the map will look like so you can see the yellow's not around so realistically it's yeah. a good day to go run yeah yeah so
1: it, kind of like you said it almost like falls into that. into the valley yeah
0: yeah well it's interesting too man is that you know I was telling this to Savannah I don't know if I told you this but like since I moved out to Salt Lake City I've I've been sick more than normal than I have been like living in California and when I went and understood the difference of like air quality between the two States or at least the areas in which we lived in, I was like, oh, that makes complete fucking sense, you know, especially with my background coming from the military in terms of like burn pits and toxic exposures. Like I'm just super sensitive to upper respiratory infections. So luckily, like this past year, it hasn't been as bad. Um, It's been Mm -hmm. not too bad, but like yesterday it was like almost close to 100. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to go out and run because I've done it in the past. I think when was it when I first moved out here, I did a quick run cause I was prepping for an event called up for air series where they focus on air quality and like improving okay. air quality. So telling everyone, Hey, stop driving so many vehicles and, and, you know, carpool and all these other things. And at the end of the day, we understand like that's never going to go away, but like to like create some recognition and, and around that's it been really, was really cool. So when I first moved out here in 2020 in February, they had an event, like I said, Up for air and pretty much what it is, it's an ultra endurance event of touching a peak as many times as possible and you get to choose your duration. The duration could be six hours, 12 hours, or 24. And the event That's that right. I, yeah, well, and, and the peak is three miles up over two K in climbing. So you're okay. doing, you're doing about seven miles total with yeah, 22, yeah. 2,500 feet of climbing in that as many times as possible in a six hour, <laughs> 12 hour period nice so the the event was on a sunday i usually like to prep my legs a day before or the day prior um yeah. so i went out and did a quick 20 minute run with some surges and i didn't realize this because again i'm so used to just running out in the mountains or i meant running mm. out in california where you don't have to worry about the air quality you just go out and do your thing didn't know that i ended up doing the event and then i'm catching an a respiratory infection and a lot, i ended up finding out was one, because I pushed the effort, obviously, yeah, but two was from the air quality of the day prior. So it started getting me into like looking at like how our bodies actually, what's the word, actually filter pollution from the air. And I found some really sure. interesting literature and like research on it actually, and saying that over time, the human being naturally just gets immune and adjusts to how to like filter the toxins in the air. And I'm like, what? I'm like, and it's interesting because it makes you realize like how resilient we really are as a, as as a human form and and like the way our body's been set up. So yeah, man, going back to answering your question for my, my, uh, my training session today, I will be getting out and running today just because the air quality is better and it's going to be 50 degrees outside and I can put a pair of shorts on and and get out after it (laughs) (laughs) compared to your negative four degrees that you were sprinting in yesterday.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well like, like I was saying uh, I don't know I didn't I don't think I spoke to you after I like started off in studs in um in cleats. Yeah. And like I was just finding I was like kind of like Bambi, like the ground was so hard. I was just kind of like bouncing off. So I had to put vans on. Um and that, that was that was kind of all right, but like where I where I run, it's like um they play baseball and stuff on it. So it's not like super smooth. Um so like every now and then you hit a divot or something and it like pings you yeah. off to the sun. So that reactivity trade did you like, did you see
0: did you see the Georgia and Bama game uh was it, it or the Georgia and the Utah uh it was a Rose Bowl I believe that just right. happened
1: okay no I didn't
0: uh, there was an there was a wide receiver who caught a pass dude and he like stepped the wrong way and his ankle just lost it and then to follow on that he went to go step again and his knee followed with it it was yeah. gnarly I, I I know. I know it was it was a big Rose Bowl game or some championship game because everyone was talking about it. But it goes to show you that you know the ability to to have the strength and the durability and resiliency to make those cuts yeah. without even realizing that you have to do it. And now again, like the dude's a high level athlete, high performing athlete, and freak accident. But it just goes to show you that hey, that that's not too far off from you know what you're yeah. talking about or from the idea of like a tactical professional who runs around in boots and has to jump off of things and ends up having you know foot injuries. And
1: uh, yeah, I, I mean this, I I don't want to go too far down this route because I think it would derail it like off a cliff into <laughs> a whole podcast like a series. Yeah. But like, which actually we need another with,
0: one by the way. We need another lunch and learn series. So
1: well yeah maybe <laughs> maybe this is it. But like that whole um that whole idea of like layering complexity. So not only Using the the football example, not only is that athlete running as fast as they can possibly run in a direction they're not looking, they're like they're tracking a ball that they they kind of have to remember the route that they're supposed to be playing and tracking the ball that's probably not even in their like peripheral vision when they start running. So like we talk about cognitive loading and things like that in our in our training. That that's cognitive loading, just like that stacking, like stacking the, the complexity of a stimulus. Well, um, it's
0: interesting too, because like, obviously we haven't done a podcast in a while. Hey guys, welcome to the Softly Performance <laughs> Podcast. I promise we'll go ahead and start talking about the things that actually make sense in the pure topic that we're going to be going on. But it, it does, it does, right? When you go ahead and look at it, I, I was trying to like answer the question of like, what increases capacity? Or how do we improve our tolerance to a specific type of capacity? Cognitive function capacity, muscle endurance uh, capacity, stress capacity, you can name it however you want to look at it. And I realized, and I used the word already, the only way we improve capacity is utilizing stress. And the way we, that we utilize stress is from being able to perceive that stress, not from a negative or a positive or a neutral or a good or bad, but understanding that this stress is just here to allow for us to experience life, which allows what allows us what to do. Again, improve our capacity to do something. Yes, when we go ahead and break it down from you know that, that I guess, absolute, statement i just said or sentence and we go and put it into a perspective like a a wide receiver who has to improve his ability from a peripheral narrowing standpoint to allow them to perform at their highest state meaning running a route not knowing when the ball is going to be there but to turn locate the ball through a peripheral at the same time still worrying about being hit by a linebacker a safety or a corner And still be able, like you said, make that catch with eyes on ball, hands on ball. But now my feet are doing its own thing. That's just that's a special skill, right? And 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 again, layering. How do we improve that? It goes all the way again when we transfer it over again. There's a lot of parallels within the sport realm into the tactical space. Oh, huge! And and how many times do we? And it's funny. For example, there's a story that I'm I'm currently working on right now. And it's talking about, uh, it, real, again, sorry guys, tangents, but I promise we'll get to where we're going. It's been a <laughs> while since Matt and I have recorded a podcast, so it's awesome to jump on. Well, my storytelling has improved, I guarantee you that. So... Uh, we had just spent probably about a moon phase or so in uh, Trek Now. We had just inserted into Trek Now back in 2010. And we were working out of this combat outpost called Belmont. It's, it's the compound we took over very first when we, when we inserted. Well, our higher-ups wanted us to make movement from Belmont to another combat outpost called Riley, which is at like a five, they call it five points or five fingers because of the, the way that the roads split out and go into other okay. areas. Well, <laughs> the movement is a good eight to 12 clicks. So, you know, it's a very far movement. And when we first inserted, we inserted with like 110 pound rucks on our back. And like, we literally just hit the terrain when we first inserted like that very first time period and just started, it became a skull drag, right? We didn't even make it to our blocking position, which was a godsend because if we would have, it would have been a very different outcome than what we experienced that first day. But it was like Preparing us for what? Preparing us for like what was to come. So now they're like, hey, we want you guys to move from Cop Belmont all the way to Comp Riley. And we're like, wait a minute, what? And realizing that they wanted us to do it under the cover of darkness. So from when the sun set to when the sun rise, because that was our working windows. That's what we did as a whole. They're like, but hey, by the way, we want you guys to go ahead and not take your 110 pound rucks that you guys inserted with. We want you guys to go ahead and download all the gear that you're not going to need to make this movement across. So pretty much go light and fast Alpine style, right? <laughs> it, that's literally what it is. Well, luckily, that's what we have been doing for the past month since working out of that 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 area because we were having to be very athletic, having to jump, skip, run, Um, You know, all those things through the terrain because of the way that the terrain was set up. Again, potholes, potholes, you know, you had uh, canals we had to jump across that are six feet wide. You had all these other like, you know, terrain features that we had to navigate around besides and, and in addition to the enemy trying to get at us yeah so like you said so bringing it back full circle we started downloading everything i mean socks extra socks that i had and already had packed extra stuff and their first mission was like hey pack enough stuff that you can live out of for the at least three quarters of the month right okay. um, which it's quite a while plus <laughs> living out of your ruck and sustaining off the land Two weeks in, or not even two weeks, in the weekend, we end up getting extended. We have no idea. They're like, hey, our, your extract is no longer existent. You guys are going to be out here moving out of cop, moving. That was that mission that we got wow. told about. Um, but we didn't know when it was going to happen. So within a month, you know, the mission trickled down. So we had to have a CH-53, which is a helicopter, a big old helicopter. And it's a Chinook-style helicopter in the Army, something for the Brits and everyone on that side of the house.
1: Yeah, we have the same.
0: Yeah, so you understand, like, they're not very mobile, they're not very fast, they're just like this, just kind of come in and land. I hear them come in. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) far away. And, uh, you know, we... We get word that, hey, third platoon, which my platoon, you guys are going to be the, the, the platoon that's going to be setting up the hasty LZ. You're going to be putting the security team out there, observing the LZ and protecting it. And then the remaining dudes are going to go ahead and take all the gear that is inside this, this compound from every other Marine that is on post in security, and you're going to go ahead and take it to the bird that is uh, about a football field away from the compound in an open danger area.
1: Yeah.
0: And we're like, all right, work. <laughs> <laughs> straight up yeah. like, if I was to like utilize it, it was literally me having to become, again, a sprinter for the hundred yard dash or, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. so long story short, dude, the bird's supposed to be inbound before sunrise and morning prayer, because if, if sunrise peaks over the horizon line, morning prayer echoes, dude, it, it's over. We're going to get into it. Like we just know already. That's just kind of the that's groundhog's day, you know, every morning it happens. So, you know, we hear the bird is not making it, uh, by sunrise, like by, by like the time that the sun's starting to peak, I look up and you start seeing the sun breaks the horizon line, the tree line. I'm like, Oh boy, this is going to be fun. A couple more minutes go by suns continue breaking. All of a sudden, now you hear morning prayer come on. All of a sudden we now hear, Hey, birds inbound in the next like half hour to 45 minutes. And you're like, Oh fuck. Well, guess who's in a (laughs) gunfight already? we are yeah. the dudes on the rooftop positions are getting after in tree line to the east you have uh other marines because we do this thing called a stand to tactic and the stand to okay. tactic means every marine is on high alert or higher higher awareness and in certain security positions that often wouldn't be secured unless during this time period because it's a high time period of enemy contact sure. <laughs> so everyone's on stand two like we're hanging out i have a rock on my back like just of random ass gear. I have a pack in front of me and, you know, and I'm like weapons dangling around my body, like hitting my knees as I walk. I'm like, and again, it's just like the the barrels biting my kneecap because it's where it's at. And I don't have no access to shoot my weapon if I was to get shot at. Well, to remain a hard target still, we had to like count anywhere between 12 to 15 steps between the person who's Entering out of friendly lines. So who are exiting okay. out of friendly lines? So, like you have, you know, 10 individuals with all this extra gear who is going back and forth, watching each other walk out of this, walking out of the compound into like this open danger area, counting their steps, then you go. Security teams throw out, you know, smoke grenades as the bird makes inbound lands. Again, the the firing and the fighting and stuff had already had a low a little bit because we had just put so much suppression down, air overhead we're rolling in dude and fucking I have all this gear on me dude and you're walking across this open danger area with like potholes mud grass dude you name it and like you're having and again the reason why we're sharing the story is because exactly what you're talking about right now from being able to have high eye eye hand coordination and all that stuff I had to execute that actually in a high stress environment because what ended up happening is as I'm the I'm the last guy out on to go put the gear onto the bird how that happened I don't know what happened I was just the last guy whatever so we're like you know i felt like i was floating across the fucking open danger to get to the bird because the loading the loading ramp was open i entered onto the bird to give a high five to the buddies coming off and like hey like let's keep doing this and like just smoking and joking dude like you know like we just had a gunfight 20 minutes ago like we're getting ready to fucking put this stuff on here what can go wrong i look out the window of the ch-53 as i'm putting gear down and my buddy adam's there smoke's disappearing and dissolving and all of a sudden you start seeing the tree line I turn around, right, and automatically I hear on the radio because of the, the communications chief. I had my, my 152 on me connected to the, the bird's radio okay. station. And the crew chief comes on. He's like, you guys got to get the fuck off of here now. And all of a sudden, I was like, what? Well, their RPG had flown overhead. I didn't hear the RPG because I was underneath the rotors still going. True, so didn't yeah. hear anything. I look out the loading ramp, dude. And I see two dudes plus uh, two of my buddies plus Adam sprinting from the loading ramp to the compound because of the fact that we are now getting rounds shot at us between us and luckily we had that disbursement between each other because you could see like popcorn rounds popping up off the floor i'm now gear free i have my weapon in my hands and i'm like there's no other but to like run like it's all yeah, you yeah. Can
1: do.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'm like running with shoulder weapon and shoulder dude and like not looking through my through my my, my scope or my acog or nothing. i'm just shooting rounds into the and, and hoping that this is where it's going just into the tree line you know almost another six seven hundred meters away 800 meters away boom 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 dude and again running over these rocks potholes and terrain without even realizing what my feet were doing but I was in such a high stress state and I had worked so much to like run laterally or like move laterally and shoot because that's what our workout our workups had like consisted of that yeah. it was just naturally just like and like sprint sprint, yeah, and you hear rounds popping out behind me, snap, crack, pow, and you're just like, holy shit. You finally get behind the compound and you're helping keep your rounds down range because security team still has to come in. We yeah. finally start throwing more smoke out. But again, it, the reason why I shared that story was because of that parallel to the same thing with a wide receiver who has to go ahead and make that catch with unknown, with so many unknown variables around him and continue moving through it. And it it, it it just goes to show you like the idea of this cognitive aspect or how we can do specific movements without really being conscious of them.
1: Oh, definitely. And I, I think like, I think you're exactly right. Like that's, that's how we've got to, you've, you've got to kind of have that, those kind of scenarios in mind. Like we always say, don't train, like don't mimic worst case scenario in training. Like don't, whatever the worst thing is that can happen, don't do that for the sake of it. Cause that's. Yeah. It just kind of beats you up, but you, yeah. you have to like be able to kind of comprehend, like what's the worst that could happen and how, how can I be kind of ready to deal with something like that? Yeah. Um, and that, that's kind of where like, I, I know this is a conversation we've been having for a long time. I think that's where like just doing back squats, bicep curls and, and benching probably isn't enough now. Like we, we probably need to kind of move on and yeah, and like evolve this, this kind of prep thing. Well, it's
0: interesting too, because you say that. So, you know, those who, who don't follow on social media or doing that, like, I just, I just got a a new certification called the Tactical Strength Conditioning Facilitator Certification through NSCA. Been I should have got it many years ago, but I never had the fire lit them under ass. Thanks to Matt, who like kind of pushed that, um, signed up for the test four weeks out studied my ass off I was super nervous of taking the test because I was like what if I fail this bro like what is you did have
1: a you did have let's be fair George you did have a few other things going on at the time
0: (laughs) (laughs) true but what I'm trying to say though and when I'm bringing this up is like when I was taking the when I was studying and reading the book again and like going through it because I took it I took the course almost two years ago with Brent Avalar who is one of the main guys who developed that, that, that part of the course, um, who's worked in the fire department and that fire department role for fucking two decades or longer than that is a very smart man. Yeah. Um, so luckily, like I got to like learn a lot, but I, I started applying a lot of it and it took me almost two years to actually finally take the test, which I think is a very natural route to do, right? Like, Hey, go take this course, go learn as much as and apply as much as you can for the next two years and how you want to do it. And then go take the test
1: and see yeah. what happens. You're like learning to drive, isn't it? You know, like you, you kind Dude, of, I know uh, the system's a bit differently boom. here to the UK, but like you don't, you don't really like learn until you've kind of checked, you can get out and get some drugs and stuff.
0: Yeah. So like the, the whole reason why I bring up this, 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 the certification is because in the book of the tactical strength conditioning of, for NSCA, the definition of the tactical athlete has nothing in there about psychology or the the or the okay. psychology of the athlete it is to prepare them physically for the rigors and demands of their occupation yeah yeah and it was like mind blowing to me and this is this is now us leading into what our topic is about today. And everyone's like, What's the topic? Come on, keep you guys have been rambling. Well, 40 been, minutes in <laughs> <laughs> actually 20. So okay. we're rocking and rolling. But to be completely honest, they're like this opens the door to our topic. And why, you know, I've been so adamant about the psychology of the tactical athlete or professional, however you want to look at it. And it it says a lot, right? Because when we go and look at it, it's like, well we don't want to be behind everybody. We want to be in the forefront. We want to be help changing lives in a very small, minute manner from a, again, we're going to take Matt's words that he took from his sports science side of the house, smallest worthwhile change. And you're going to hear us talk about that a lot in this podcast from here on out, because that is what we found that was the biggest impact. And a lot of these individuals that we have been working with utilizing this system that we created. And if you've listened to the lunch and learn series, we literally dropped every single thing about, about it, that we could at that time, have we learned a fuck ton more? Yes. Why? Because we just got done and pretty much finishing up today. And like, I think today and one more uh, next or next tomorrow. And then another one next week, but we are just finishing up and finalizing our case study for the conscious warrior system that we ended up developing together the past year. Now, We've talked about the origin of it. We've talked about how it came about in the Lunch and Learn series. But what we didn't really talk about was, again, why were we so passionate about this project as a whole? And, and, you know, I I, I like to mentor other coaches and talk with other coaches. And I had a conversation with the coach, another coach earlier um, the other day. And we were talking about, you know, what is it you want to learn in this field? right of tactical strength conditioning because everyone is going after the same thing, right? Everyone wants to teach someone how to get stronger, faster, how to make someone pull a 500 pound deadlift, run a 50 miler sub 12 hours and a 50 meter underwater crossover, which has been done. I have a, uh, an athlete who I helped do that. I've also seen it done on other ends, but for him to do that and other athletes to fulfill those kinds of endeavors, it doesn't come from the physicality standpoint of the house, Right. Like we have to understand that. And for and the way I look at it and bringing it full circle into that conversation, I was like, what drives your passion to be a coach or interest you in this? Right. Because then go ahead and take multiple different passions that you enjoy in your profession and find intersecting points that are
1: unique to you. Yeah, that's that's, that's a really good way of putting it.
0: And and I I know it was a long outline there to get to that same sentence, but that's what I'm, that's what we did here. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we both sat there in 2020 when you came on where I was in a burnout phase. I was, you realize you're like, dude, you're in charge of all of this. I'm like, yeah, man, I've been doing all of this for the past four years, five years, (laughs) you know, like, yeah, you know, this is the reason why I'm stuck. I need another pair of eyes. I need a yin or a yang to whatever my yin or yang is, however you want to look at it. But what was great was that our passions for the strength conditioning space and the tactical strength conditioning space are very different, but very similar in the same manner, right? There's a contrast between the two, which allowed for us to elevate this even more because what was your first saying? You're like, well, let's go ahead and do this and test how everyone perceives how you write programming for the company.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it was like um, uh, almost almost like a kind of an internal audit, I guess. I wanted to yeah. just, just to, yeah, kind of like set the scene. I, I wanted to see if I could find a way where we could see if how we wrote the training, like the, the training session that we prescribed, if that felt to you guys how we thought it should feel, if that makes sense. So comparing like what our interpretation of the prescription was like compared to like how you guys felt it and and like when you when you think of it in in kind of theory like that or even in like in in sport that makes a lot of sense like that's really easy to do because everybody's kind of experiencing the training like the the same way but the issue the issue that the kind of george brought up was like well that that doesn't work in the same way with this population because like person one might be fresh out of high school getting ready to start recruit training all they're doing all day is working out and then like recovering until they wait to ship off to boot camp person two might be 50 or 50 years old and like stuck behind a desk super stressed out from having to like manage team operations and things like that and person <laughs> person three might be deployed so like how can you how can you like view all those th- those three people like in the same way and and that kind of yeah that that sort of really led me to reconsider how I viewed all this stuff.
0: <laughs> well, and that's the same here, right? Because it was like, well, wait a minute. Like I've performed at some high levels with some very minimal, like hours of sleep, <laughs> not the greatest nutrition, um, not in the very healthiest headspaces, spaces um, where occupational stress was through the roof. And I was still able to operate and do my job because that's obviously what I had been trained to do, but I had, I wasn't trained on how to do my job in a setting outside of a stressor like that right like the story that i just shared i wasn't taught how to 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 keep myself in a in a balance or an equilibrium that allowed for me to have a healthy path forward right because it was again nothing against the military nothing against my upbringing nothing against whatever it was just what i had to do in that moment in time to allow for me to survive to get the job and the mission complete but now the mission changes when we do come back from those experiences. And, and again, what I'm trying to get to and say here is that like when we ran this cohort and we've talked about the very first pilot case study we ran with, with, uh, with Chris when he was when he was doing the podcast, he's, he's been on the podcast, he's good. Um, you know, what, what we found was that like, yeah, he perceives the training the way he perceives it based off his occupational stress.
1: Mm, yeah. And, and like, again, I don't want to, I don't want to kind of completely go off, off topic, off message, no, no, but no, kind of loop, looping back to what you were talking about before, like about the kind of the, the strength coach you would, you were chatting to who is kind of keen to get in and make a difference. I think, I think one thing we're maybe in danger of in this kind of this tactical space and we we've sort of talked about this before, it's this idea of getting fixated on like one piece of the pie or one piece of the pizza, yep. which is the kind of the sexy kicking indoors, chasing after suspects, like the the kind of the doing the job, if that makes sense. You we get kind of overly fixated on like what are the metrics behind that, like how fast you need to sprint, how strong you need to be, and, and all that kind of stuff. And that, like, if you draw the analogy across to sport, which is where strength conditioning has come out of, that makes sense, like as a strength coach your employment, I guess, should be based around how well your athletes perform on the field or on the pitch or or whatever. So it makes sense to use that same kind of framework in the tactical space. But the, the issue with that is that's such a small percentage of like what that guy or girl does over the course of the day, over the course of a 30 year career. And like, it's, it's, it's not forgetting that the rest of the pie, like all the other slices are Add up to way more relatively than that. That kind of one piece. That was, sorry, that was hugely convoluted. I no, kind of makes sense. But
0: that, that, so that's what I was. That's a good point, and another way to transition to you know what we learned in this case study was that like, we don't have control over the intensity and volume of someone's occupational stress whatsoever. Not even that person, that person might think that they do, but realistically you're in an environment of uncontrollable expectations and outcomes that you just have to get through on your own. That's it. Right. But again, on your own. So we took this idea of like, well, what are the things that an individual has control of outside of that span or that window or that left and right lateral limits of their occupation and the stress in in which they experience. And it was like, well, we've had, we've talked about sleep. We've talked about to eat better and nutrition, like nutrition wise. Oh, has anybody talked about heart health? Has anybody looked at like what someone's heart looks like or a resting heart rate looks like over time period for some of these individuals? And what is the average left and right lateral limits that someone that let's say is 32 years old should be at right in a healthy normative
1: values for health like yeah normative values for health
0: health and wellness and you go and look at it and they're very very different and it was like well now now we see why someone is unable to handle the undulation of stress from their job for long periods is because of what their heart is experiencing and being put under. And I've said this before in the past, the heart only knows two things, volume and intensity. What can you control outside of that job when you're not in a high intensity output and the volume of whatever you're feeling or taking in or whatever else is happening? You can control now the intensity of how you sleep, the volume of which you sleep, the intensity in in the volume of food, how you manage your heart rate at the other end of the spectrum from not the job oh well let's talk about psychological state and the stress in which you you are in from this elevated heart rate that you're consistently in oh and the lack of sleep oh wait let's go and talk about the central nervous system as well as like do you understand how to, to manipulate the nervous system to change and shift between the sympathetic and the, and the parasympathetic And know that, hey, like, if you're too burnt out, you probably don't have enough parasympathetic energy in your system to balance out the sympathetic state. And then vice versa, if you're too parasympathetic, and what does that mean? When you feel a little bit sad and you have that emptiness inside you, I still experience this to the day, right? Like Then you need a little bit more sympathetic sympathetic, uh, activities to spike that up. All we're doing is using stress to combat stress in a way that you perceive it to help increase your capacity as a whole to your occupation right like that's all that we were looking at and I know like we've we haven't gotten to the need and gritty yet of like the case study and we will hear shortly but that as as like as I could explain it that was the biggest thing I took from that and again when we were four weeks into this, this case study, we were doing check-ins and talking with people and Matt threw out some fucking bangers to these to, to these individuals that really made some huge impacts in their life. And I'm gonna have Matt share them and then we're gonna share some of these things because we shouldn't be hiding this and we shouldn't be holding it back. And I'll tell you what, those who have listened to the Lunch and Learn series and have applied what we talked about in there are seeing great results. I've gotten emails already for it and, and all these other things. So it's, again, it's just like, we we had our last meeting last night with one of our cohort individuals it it was one of those things where it came down it's like no it takes maturity to kind of take this approach
1: yeah yeah i i agree and it's it's um it it's one of those things i think as well in that like one of the one of the kind of the benefits of youth is that you feel he says like early 30s starting to feel the wheels come off Uh, when when you're like when you're younger um, you kind of feel indestructible, and that's yeah. like that. That's what you want as like someone who's in the vast majority of tactical professions. You you want to be indestructible. Yeah, I can do that. No dramas. But like the the issue, the the cost of that, I suppose, is the cost. You don't realize what like the. Uh, it's almost like kind of swiping your credit card just for everything, like going on a on a shopping spree it's awesome in the time you get all that kind of stuff but at some point you're going to have to pay back your, your credit yeah. card bill yeah um, well
0: and that's that's the idea right the credit card is your occupational stress bill if we look yeah. at it and we're, and we'll explain exactly what we how we approach this case study and like at the end of at the end of this and again I'll, I'll I'll make sure we kind of explain a little bit of what we have taken from this cohort and how we're going to apply things to the future cohorts and as well start explaining how to help lower occupational stress from a recovery strategy standpoint from a point system that we have kind of put things together and you can apply it how you like. But so let's go ahead and talk a little bit about like the way the case study kind of came about. And let's go ahead and first, before we open up going into the case study, let's define the difference between a case study and a regular lab study. Matt, you want to go and run with that?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll try, I'll try <laughs> to put it on the spot up, and or, and or bore you silly. So, um, OK, so if you picture generally the gold standard in the medical world, so if you're testing a new drug, and I'm not going to go political with this, but if you're testing a new drug or like a vaccine or something like that, generally the, the gold standard is would be like a case control study. So you have two groups. You have a group that you give the intervention to, so they have um, pill A, and then you have like a control group who doesn't receive anything or maybe another group that receives a placebo where they're kind of not receiving something but they think they are just to i'm I'm kind of getting into the weeds already anyway you effectively have two groups of people who have received the intervention and people who don't and then you kind of see what happens and then in in a crossover study what you then might do is switch the groups around so the group that received it now doesn't and the group that didn't now receives whatever it is and you're basically comparing the results between the two groups to see like if receiving pill a in this instance if this made a difference or not to to kind of whatever the the output marker is now that works really well in like controlled lab based settings so when you can control all the variables when you can control like sleep and nutrition the background of the people stress things like that um that that works really well because there's there's very little noise in the in the study so any any kind of signal or response you get you can be pretty confident it's because of the the intervention now The the issue that we were facing was that the people that we wanted to use for the cohort, like you guys listening now, we know that you're, by the very definition of doing the the role and the the job that you're doing, you don't fall into that category. There's lots of other crazy stuff going on. People are full-time parents, husbands, wives, like juggling education, doing kind of short notice deployments, Uh, some people kind of stacking multiple jobs. So firefighting but also doing something else on the side so there's there's loads of kind of craziness in there so what we felt we couldn't do was compare person a with compare with person b because they're so different so like any any value we might add with the intervention will be lost within the noise of all the other kind of craziness going on so what we chose to do was to pursue like a, a case study approach which is something that, that george was more familiar with kind of coming from the psychology world. Um, where basically rather than comparing inter, so between people, you just track one person longitudinally. So you you have like a start point and an end point and you're tracking for that for that one person, have have things improved, have things not, if so, why? And then you take the next person and do the same thing and the next person do the same thing. So it's inter rather than intra kind of participant um, comparisons. Um, and we felt that that was more, That would give us a truer indication of whether this was relevant for like real people i.e., our population Um, and also kind of allowed us to like to to look at how things changed over time as well
0: yeah in a big (laughs) case no no you're good you're good and from the sports psych side of the house when we run case studies what we're trying to do is take take the 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 variables that we want to go ahead and look at and apply them to the field based aspect of someone's lifestyle where it's a very challenging approach to do in a lab based study so what we end up doing from that was like okay cool well we can't control their their we can't control their sleep schedule we can't control their work schedule we can, we realistically, we can't control how they eat and what food they put into their mouth. We, we are, we can't control the training that they do. Realistically, we had no control over the individual, but what we did have control over are a way to identify combat indicators is what we created and called them was the behaviors and the habits in which they did going into their sleeping window, their eating windows, their training windows, their, you know, where their psyche was at coming into the cohort or throughout the day and let them check in, which then allowed us to go ahead and look at their occupational stress from a perception standpoint of like how stressful it was. And it was like, well, okay, if we can read, if we can create new behaviors and habits In a very smallest worthwhile change, meaning maybe before sleep, instead of like sitting there pounding a, you know, pounding a monster or drinking coffee or, or, or or some alcohol before bed, two hours or an hour before bed, you get that. You take that out or maybe you don't do those things already but you're waking up in the middle of the night well why what's your hydration look like what does your nutritional intake look like what are you doing prior to bed uh you know what's going on cool here's a simple change that you might get to do that doesn't create any kind of riffles in your in your like life pond that's gonna like make you be weary of what you're doing and that was the biggest part he was like well okay cool well Matt, what are the things you do before you sleep, you know, or what do you do when you wake up? And it was like, well, I had to change my sleeping patterns to do this thing, to get myself back on a circadian rhythm that I haven't had probably in Lord, how long Lord knows how long. So then it's like, okay, cool. Well, realistically sleeps the state of being, it doesn't matter if the sun is up or sun is down. All it is, is an intention to have a, a protocol to get you Ready to disable the mind to sleep, and then you need an intention and a protocol and habits that are going to enable the mind when you wake up. And with that being said, you can put that left, you can put that sleep window anywhere in someone's day as long as we place those intentions prior to disabling to sleep, to where it disables the mind, to. Enabling the mind when they wake up. And then from there, we were like, well, how about we look into people's eating habits? You know, is someone eating enough protein? Are they eating enough carbohydrates? Are they eat enough fats? What does their micronutrients and hydration look like? And we were able to observe their food and we were like, hey, look, let's go ahead and just kind of change the way we view food from this emotionally based thought process which makes me feel good and pleasure to more of a logical based thought process of what food does to me from an energy standpoint and like when we created that headspace and that new realm to kind of float inside of and think about and work in what did it do to our heart health because now we can go in and talk about heart health and we go ahead and just like hey your resting heart rate is at a 76 and you're 30 years old like that's not good right like that's that's not good at all like if my resting heart rate is at a 76 i'd ha- i'd be like i need to fix this but that's the conversation you have with someone where you acknowledge me like, Hey, have you ever checked this out before? And not even using HRV yet. Like, cause we got to use lead HRV and shout out to them. And we got to sit down and talk with the co-owners and some of the tech people with it. And again, love what they did for us and the help they helped us with. But again, what we came down at the end of the day was that resting heart rate's a really huge indicator on how someone um, is living their life. And then from there we were like, well, How about the nervous system? How do we get an insight to see what the nervous system is doing? How do we teach someone to associate that feeling of, you know, high state of stress or nice and relaxed and not much state of stress? Well, we have to connect the number to a feeling. You can't just tell someone to feel that like, again, teaching someone mindfulness and teaching someone having this intentfulness is a very difficult thing, right? We saw that you sent me a text message this morning. You're like, dude, we're on the forefront. Check this out. It really is. But I think if we can apply it from a standpoint that associates them to their job and longevity, it will only help them digest this information that much easier. And then what do we do from there? We're like, okay, cool. What's your your psych like? Like, what does that look like? How many individuals we talked to throughout this eight-week course that was like, hey, I'm now talking to a therapist or I've now opened up and like sharing some of these things or I'm talking more with my wife or I'm I'm doing things that help relieve the psychological stress that I'm under due to not just my job, but maybe other things that have accumulated and are a summation now to that point. Wild, just to have conversations. And then all of a sudden now, their occupational stress they're going into now has been perceived as a nine for the past year before working with this. And at the end of this eight weeks, their perceived stress at work now is a seven or a six. Why? Because they're sleeping better. They look at food differently and eat it in a better way. Their heart health now, they decrease their resting heart rate and know the tools and those things to so go ahead and decrease it. Oh, let's go ahead and talk about, um, you know, them being able to throw in mental malfunction drills to go ahead and stop them from spiraling an opposite way that keeps them from doing the right things. Oh, cool! You know how to take tactical pauses and compartmentalize like your day from work to your professional life? Because at the end of the day, what do we come up with? This idea of the conscious warrior system is we're focusing on the human first, profession second, and and I'm sure everyone's like, "Whoa, that's that's that seems really easy." It, it, it it's simple, but simple doesn't mean easy. Simple comes with difficulty because it does take a lot of like transparency and kind of flipping the mirror on yourself and being able to recognize it. And, you know, one of the, the cohort individuals, he's a machine gunner age. He's super young, 20 years old, right? Like sitting there talking to us about, oh yeah, when I go out with the dudes now on the weekends, like I actually have less beer with them. I'll actually like drink water between things like, or like, I just like don't want to drink because the next day I want to wake up and go train or hang out with my friends or like not feel like a bag of ass. And I'm like, dude, you're 20 years old. And as a machine gunner in the infantry in the Marine Corps, like, wait a minute, what the fuck did we just do to you, right? (laughs) But he also has that dark passenger who knows when to hammer it down and handle business.
1: Yeah, and and I think like maybe some of that, uh, some of the benefits of that comes from us deliberately not trying to be overly prescriptive. So rather than being like, just do A, B, and C. I know you kind of said before you wanted to sort of adopt this like this guided discovery type approach, where it's about like always giving people menu options. So these are some things you can choose from, depending on where your priorities are, what your interests are, like going back to what you said about the, the, the coach at the top of this this kind of um, this chat, it, it has to be something that's, that's like appealing and interesting to kind of generate that behavior change you wanted to try and get. Um, and then once you've kind of chosen a few things that that kind of intrigue you or interest you, then here's least HRV or here's, here's kind of the, the survey responses where we can track like, is this making a difference or not? Um, and then that's kind of how you, I guess, how you sort of validate it again for that person, because clearly the menu options that, that you choose to help fix the experiences that, that you're kind of going through are very different to what I would choose because my experiences and and life is, is different. Um, I, I think that's kind of where the, like where the value is, but then in the same breath that, that kind of echoes what you were saying. That's where the fact that it's simple is very different to it being easy because it's really easy to just be told what to do but that i think that's less effective kind of long long term it has to be something that that you buy into as a as an athlete as a patient however you want to look at it
0: yeah want. and that's in i like the fact that you put that in there the idea of the menu option because like we were because we didn't tell no one what to do we were just like hey look if you recognize these combat indicators I was going to
1: say yeah talk talk through your, the the Yeah so indicated.
0: so what we ended up doing was like so the biggest part here and, the, and what's really great about us being able to communicate with a tactical professional is that we've actually lived the job. We've been in the position where we have the universal language to code the same color cups across the board. And that wasn't stated by us, that was stated by a few individuals in the cohort who we worked with and talked with because some of the guys that we had in this cohort I'll tell you what you don't think bad things are going on in this fucking world like let me let me just let you know that there's a lot of crazy shit going on in this world that we were actually had insight to while working with these individuals because we were tracking all this information and we were seeing dips and lows and we had people reach out to us and like well what's going on so let's go ahead and talk a little bit about like how we approached that right was okay cool these combat indicators are everywhere Everywhere, right? Like, hey, there's like your average resting heart rate should be between 40 to 60 for the average healthy human being. Well, there's who's who's resting heart rate is below 60 beats per minute? Okay, combat indicator one. Right? Oh, cool. How's your energy throughout the day? You know, are you eating three to four meals a day with high nutrient dense meals? You mean X, Y, and Z? Oh, you're not. Well, there's another combat indicator. Are you, you know, cool? Well. Let's talk about your sleep. How many how many frequencies uh, or how many disturbances do you have in your sleep? How long does it take you to go to bed? How do you feel when you wake up? What is your sleep like around your work schedule when you're on a reverse schedule? Oh, here are some combat indicators that associate to like why you're not sleeping well. Cool. Again, like I said, I'm not uh, combat indicators can be anything that is creating a disturbance in your day or in your life that's going to take away from you being able to fulfill whatever it is you want to fulfill. Right. Like for me, like I want to keep my resting heart rate below a 50. And that's a goal of mine. Why? Because I believe it helps it helps with increased longevity of life. Right. Oh, I might want to keep stress low. I might not want to hold in anger or, or that, because then what does it do inside of me? It manifests into a, a sickness or however else. And I'm reading a crazy book right now by Allison Hoffman and, and, and she talks, she's very like magic fantasy type stuff, but she uses a lot of really cool points of like internal uh internal processes that will like you know cause you to do really great things or cause you to do really not great things. So the idea here was like, okay, let's take this guy to discovery, let's create this menu option. let's go ahead and give them these combat indicators so that they can now associate themselves with not us telling them that they have these issues because that's not what I wanted. I didn't want to sit there and be like, well yeah, you have this issue, you have this issue because why would we label someone when I have no fucking context behind what their stress levels are like at work? Right, but I do have an understanding because I have stood underneath being a tactical professional for quite some time and working in this realm. That yeah, how do we combat these stressors and these indicators that are going to allow for us then to throw in strategies and interventions that are going to help get rid of these combat indicators? And I can't, I and, and I can't take credit for the, the the term combat indicators here or mental malfunctions. These are all things I've heard around me and I've just applied in my way. Of, of sharing and, and building that for people. So yes, when we first started this Conscious Warrior System case study, again, our goal was to go ahead and test how well someone perceived our training programs. But at the end of the day, it went, The total opposite of that. And it was like, all right, no, let's go ahead and teach individuals in the tactical space how to have better habits that will actually stick long term in a realistic environment. And I'm not taking away from any nonprofits or any organizations that are taking individuals, putting them in a low stress environment and doing that and then sending them back out into the world. I've been a part of those things and I know they work really great, but for some people that doesn't work for them. For some individuals, we do need to keep them in their environment in a high stress state where we can then teach them how to control different variables where they end up taking this guided discovery process and learning and apply it to their own way, which makes them develop a deeper and a tighter connection to their ability to perform, not as just a professional, but as a human
1: for everyone around them themselves. Yeah, and, and kind of going back to what you were saying about like the uh, the, the training side of things, like the kind of <laughs> the upshot was that I mean, from the the limited data we've had back so far, it was like PRs all round. Um, there's been quite a few people who just, even though they feel like they're maybe, um, like the, the training is maybe less intense because they don't feel like they have to smash themselves every day. Because of that, they're they're kind of stronger, faster, fitter. Heart rate like uh, metrics are better than they've been in a long time, and and that's I think that's kind of the same as as a lot of the like the menu options George was talking about, like the protocols. It's it's like that's a huge confidence boost, regardless of like whether or not you choose to use that. Knowing you've got it in the back pocket is is a massive win because so much of our, our kind of occupation is the, what if, what if the wolf comes through the door tomorrow Well, you know, you've got be it the fitness banked or you've got the, the kind of the, the protocols that you can, you can kind of drop into, you've got that sorted. Um, and yeah, kind of equipping people with that, I think is, yeah, that's, that's it has been really cool.
0: Well, let me go ahead and share this story. And again, we're not using people's names, but an individual in the cohort shared with us, he was like, so Let's back up. Let's go ahead and explain the case study on how we ran it first. So the way we ran it was we had a two-week or a non-observation period of testing. So we just asked them to go ahead and explain that, right? I think so. Yeah, we had a two-week period where we just let them test and create a baseline. And we didn't implement anything. We didn't say anything. We just observed and realistically non-observed because we didn't want to have any input during that time period. We specifically said hey, these two weeks, no input. We had them track resting heart rate. We had them track HRV and we had them track lifestyle surveys, occupational surveys, nutritional surveys, um, as a whole is what we did. And as well as we also in, uh, put in psychological survey for, um, a mood checklist, as well as overall, like happiness, feeling sadness, anger. And I called it like my zone colors of emotions. And we put that in the beginning of the week or in the beginning of the core of the study. And for the two weeks, we had them take all this and do it. And then finally, within the next you know, four weeks after that two-week testing, we started implementing all of the pillars into their week and started showing them the different comma indicators where they could now look at their own data from the past two weeks and go ahead and, like you said, that menu option where it's like, oh, wow, okay, cool. My resting heart rate's really high. How can I fix that? Well, let's go look at the heart health pillar that we put together and look at the common indicators. And then what are some of the interventions and strategies to be added to that? Oh, my nutritional eating habits are fucking really shitty. Maybe I should go ahead and eat a specific way by these interventions. Oh, heart, uh, you know, sleep. Oh, I'm not sleeping well. Let me go look at that. So, again, this menu option. So, we gave that to them in the four week period and had them implement it throughout the four weeks. And then from there, we had another two week period where we kind of backed off, didn't talk to them as much. I mean, we checked in weekly just to make sure things were good, but we let them on their own where they retested. And we have now information from when they first tested to when they ended ended their testing. And what's really crazy is like our testing period was between October 5th to December like 15th or something like that, which, as everyone knows, Thanksgiving and holidays are coming up. And what we were able to see from that was that everyone was still able to live their life and not be affected or think that these surveys that they had to fill out or these check-ins that they had to do um, became monotonous, they didn't, what ended up realizing was that it allowed them to slow down, take a tactical pause for the day and actually check in with themselves and actually get the repetitions of what it feels like to like be internal, to see what it is like, okay, well, how did I, how do I feel this morning? You know, after waking up and checking my HRV, huh? Okay, cool. Sweet. Works good. Oh man. Work was really tough today. Maybe I don't go into the gym and crush myself. Maybe I just make some adjustments to my training program. So what we ended up taking was like, well, let's go ahead. And instead of, instead of looking for the, the, the testing between like how they perceive their training program and how they feel, let's go ahead and teach them how to manipulate their training program to the way that they perceive their feeling going into the training program. Meaning that, for example, the story that I'm about to use now, we have an individual who came to us who was high stress, works like crazy is doing a lot of really cool things outside of his profession, but it's really high stress in his profession. He came to us, was all over the place. We had some conversations when we explained this. It was like, hey man, like, look at your occupational stress. And when it's a super high day from a, a physicality and a psychological perspective, maybe the gym is not where you go and crush yourself. And his response was like, man, that's so crazy because when we get back from like a really hard, you know, mission that we're doing, we just go and crush ourselves. And I'm like, yeah, like that doesn't make any sense, man. Like, it's like, I remember that's the old way of doing things. And I remember doing the same thing. I'm pretty sure Matt's done it. Everyone listening yeah, is like, oh culture, yeah, it's yeah. the culture, right? It was like, man, how about not? How about you go in there and like lower everything down? Especially if you've been, you know, sitting side in a high and you've been observing a surveillance for the past 10 hours and you haven't drank much water and you eaten like shit. Maybe it's not smart to go into the gym and crush. So maybe you go into the gym and do something super easy, spin on the bike. Maybe you do a couple of the, less couple more less sets than what it prescribed or maybe just fucking go home and go for a walk with your family and just hang out and do something like that's going to help reset the system so that you can then be ready to rock and roll the next day
1: and kind of having the sorry i don't want to cut you off there, no you're good. kind of having like having the understanding of of why that's a viable option so you then, yep. then beat yourself up for like oh i should have trained i've missed out on a training session i'm gonna like wake up tomorrow with a beer belly
0: you know, yeah. kind of having
1: like the trust in, the trust in that. it's a process it is it literally is the process and that's what was like well
0: again it, that's why i'm saying like this 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 program it's 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 a very difficult program to like really i'm not saying push on someone but to like bring to a massive setting and being like this is what we need to do and this is the reason why i enjoy the fact that You know, we don't have to have left and right lateral limits from the government on us. We don't have any of those things. Like we get to work in a very cool setting where we can build our team to give it what it needs. So for example, he can't, uh, would we talk to him again? Like in the middle of this, in the middle of the cohort of the study, he was doing better. Things were looking good. And then towards the back end of the case study, he was like, man, some of these things happened, but his resting heart rate was still decreasing. His HRV was increasing, I'm sorry, resting heart rate was decreasing. HRV was increasing and he was like, Yeah, man, I feel fucking great. I feel and really they're, good. They're
1: good things if you weren't like if you don't track those, having an HRV increase is, is, is good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then having a decreasing heart rate is really good. That's what we're looking for. And then he came out and he was like, Yeah, man, he's like, I had to do a foot chase. He's like, and I realized that I probably shouldn't be on the strength team anymore. I need to get on the stamina team. And <laughs> again, so now after taking care of everything else around him, he can go in and look at like his training program that Softly offers him. And he's like, Oh. Huh. I might need to be a little bit more uh, aerobic for this right now compared to where I've been. But again, his HRV was increasing in a positive way and his resting heart, it was decreasing in a positive way. So it was just like, yeah, man, now you get to specialize on what you want to do because you've now taken care of all the other spheres around you and you've interconnected them together. And that's ultimately how this whole thing started. And when I kind of shared this with Matt, I was like, yeah, man, so here's this diagram and here's this like levels of, of of like consciousness of thinking, of being able to control sleep. And he was like, mate, mind blown. Like, what are you talking about? He's like, you have to bring this a different way. So I had to like, learn how to explain this. And this is where we're at today. Um, You know, after conducting our legit first case study, it's really cool to sit here and say like, yeah, we conducted a case study under Softly. And like, I'm patting myself on the back, I'm patting you on the back. And like, we have a research side of the house now. So where we can offer legit experience and numbers and data and being like, look, this is what we end up doing for this individual and look what it did to their, look what it did to their ability to tolerate stress at work and their life. And that's kind yeah. of what we're moving into next. And like, there's so many interventions and strategies that you can implement. It's just finding the ones that really help you connect to like, again, I'm not trying to sound super spiritual, but like connect to like, what it is you need in that moment. Um, yeah. And, and, let's go ahead and move into that. Because I know like we covered a lot of this stuff. And again, like if you guys want more information on the case study, um, please feel free to reach out. Um, you know, we can talk more about it offline. Or if you want to go back and listen to the Lunch and Learn series to learn more about it, please do. We will be running another cohort. It probably won't be for a little bit just because we have a little bit of other projects in um, in the shoot right now that we're really trying to finish. But, you know, again, the things that we're going to talk about next is not hard to do. It's, it's simple, but it's, it's like being able to be consistent on it. And again, consistent doesn't mean every single day, right? Again, you utilize these tools. And this is where I was trying to go with this as well Is like, think of yourself as a sculptor, right? Like I'm just sculpting my life out out of clay. And at times I might need a chisel. Sometimes I might need a hammer. Sometimes I might need a saw. Sometimes I might need a grinder and learning that all these different tools are going to help give you this beautiful sculpture. It's the same thing with how we can view sleep, how we eat food, how we manage heart health, how we manage our nervous system and how we manage a psychological state and how we actually manage our occupational stress. So it doesn't bleed into our everyday life, right? Like that's the idea here. So, you know, again, giving you these tools to allow for you to move forward. And, you know, I'm going to go ahead and open up with quite a few of them that, you know, one I was impressed by with Matt, like I said, it was just like, oh man, he threw this in there. And I started doing it for the past four weeks and it just, huge change um and it was really cool you know and the first one I'm going to go ahead and talk about and it sounds so basic and simple but no one ever wants to do it is nasal breathing on the bike
1: yeah <laughs> yeah definitely and that that kind of um coming back to what you were saying about the the person on the cohort who like was was in the routine of like doing a hard mission and then coming back and just crushing themselves in the gym um that like I said that that was something I, I kind of saw personally um was the, so embedded in the culture like at, at times it's easier to kind of go go with the flow than like than than trying to like fight against yeah. it so a, a, a kind of a really useful thing i found from from sort of the the rehab kind of injury management side of things was trying to find like this sounds terrible. So if anybody, if anybody was a patient of mine is listening, now apologies. <laughs> You're definitely on the receiving end of this. Try and find ways of like uh, of, of kind of tricking them, giving them things that feel really, really hard. So things that feel like emotionally difficult, but are actually not really costing like that much metabolically or from like a nervous system standpoint. So things like like George was saying, like nasal breathing intervals and things like that um they they suck they feel like the world's going to end it feels horrendous but actually because you're you're rate limited by only being able to breathe through your nose it, it's not that taxing on the on the physiology so you kind of like you scratch that itch you're feeling like you've trained really hard but like it, it's not cost that much um so that yeah that was that was kind of where that that came from i don't know if you want to dive in more
0: yeah. Well, so it's a big point that, and I don't mind diving into it. It's just the idea that, you know, as a simple task as like, Hey, shut your mouth, breathe through your nose and ride a bike. It could be at a certain percentage, but you're only limited by the ability to like intake air through the nose and out through the nose. And again, a lot of people might not be able to breathe properly. So what ends up happening over time with this way of, of, of training or throwing into your day, one, it relieves pain, which is what we saw from this Two, it increases more of a self-awareness, self-internal realization because on the bike for 60 minutes, 30, 40 minutes with your mouth closed, nasal breathing, yeah, you might have earphones in or reading a book or you're just kind of into it. You do start to kind of talk to yourself and question yourself and start to kind of get into there. And that was what was said to us was like, yeah, at the time on the bike kind of helped me like open some doors to think about other things and realize like maybe my relationships with certain people are not as healthy as they need to be. And I need to let go of them or, you know, work is a certain way and I've learned to like accept that work's going to be this way. And I can accept everything else and control everything else around that to live a good life again, by just putting someone on a bike for 30 to 40 to 50 to 60 minutes by closing their mouth. The next one was, um, what was the one? Oh, you told you Told one of the cohort uh individuals, it's not the one we just talked to, not the painting one, not the salt one, because we had a couple of them. Um okay. man, I forgot it was uh you did a couple of them. I think it was I think you shared about like writing
1: something down. I think it was before sleep. Yeah, having having kind of like um like a to-do list. Um that yeah, that that kind of thing, like so you're not sort of dwelling on what that's usually biased because I'm I'm a massive post it to-do list kind of person so so it it logically makes sense to me but it does make sense yeah yeah yeah. um if you can like have things have things kind of written down maybe even like triaged or prioritized for the next day um it can be a little bit easier to like kind of start that wind down process because your your brain has like an end point rather than sort of constantly streaming into into the next day
0: yeah well and that's Um, the cool part about that right is like when we go in and look at it from hey look go jot down everything you can and and i'm not gonna lie to you when i first started fixing my sleep and we're looking into sleep almost six years ago that was a big part was like hey to disable the mind how about you you jot things down out of your head and we know from a male and female perspective in the mind females have a lot of windows in their head open up compared to the mail right we see memes all the time so it was one of those things where it was like hey start writing stuff down start kind of putting things down before bed so that it's out of your head and you can go to sleep And you wake up the next morning you have it another trick was like hey leave a, a notepad next to your bed especially if you're super high stress at work if you wake up in the middle of the night thinking about something write it down and go back to sleep the next one that we talked about and this was a really cool one is they started taking off the alarm and putting it outside their room and stop Mm -hmm. having a clock inside their room because it was creating a pressure to it was creating uh, a pressure of like i have to wake up by this time when naturally they just woke up so that was really cool and then one of the other ones that we we heard and we talked about um came out of nowhere was the whole like hey i paint at the end of my day like i have some time to paint i was like wait a minute what (laughs) but i paint with my daughter all the time and it is a very like brain turns off you can kind of like just Go and it touches another part of your brain that we don't always touch, and I, I noticed this huge change in HRV and, and resting heart rate, and it was like, well, what did you do? Like my question, right? Like whenever I see these dramatic, drastic changes, because they see them right away. I was like, you were like consistent, consistent. All of a sudden, your resting heart rate started decreasing, and then your HRV increased. Like, what was the change here? And she was, she was like, oh, I started doing paint by numbers after work for fun.
1: Just for you know, thirty minutes, and I was like, "What?" Yeah, just painting. Mm. Yeah, you know, yeah. and so so effective. Like you could you could spend kind of coming from the the sports science side of things, you spend thousands and thousands of dollars on like kind of doing you uh, uh, infrared, sauna like yeah. in hot tubs, yeah. things like that. And this was from something that probably I don't know two three dollars. Like, correct, a, a
0: look and like a little. And, 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 oh, again, and, we'll, and we'll tell you this right now we didn't put painting inside the strategies or intervention <laughs> list whatsoever for any of our pillars. Now I'm going to, right? Like, oh, we need to be putting creative stuff in there because, again, too, right? Like, how nice is it to write, to paint, to take photos, to do all these things? It puts you in a different space in your brain that, and, and like, that changes the chemical balance which ultimately- you lean on that quite heavily don't you like on sort of the creative side of things oh yeah and that was kind of one of those things like why did not i ever bring that into this like why didn't i ever and i think i tried it in the beginning of the cohort like on the course platform we we're using i was like hey guys write about something no one came about it and i was like all right i gotta rethink this right yeah, because yeah. Just again- kind of making it accessible like meeting people where they are with stuff well, menu options again, right? Like that was the problem it was like, we were telling them to do something. It was like, Hey, have this done by then. And like, again, I'm not upset. It didn't get done. It just taught me that, Hey, we got to stick to this menu option because again, we gave her interventions. We gave her her ability to be curious. And again, now this goes into why I approach the conscious warrior system in this manner from the humanistic approach of psychology. What is the humanistic approach of psychology in layman's terms? It's the ability to give someone back their creative and curiosity of the side of the house that enable it, allows them to handle hardships in their own way, which then goes back to opening the doors of being like, well, how are they, how did they develop as from their infancy all the way up to their time now and how they were able to handle stressors and hardships and what are the tools that they have there. And when we were able to open that door, we started seeing individuals being open and receptive to like thinking outside the box and for themselves painting. Oh, I started pulling out alcohol actually every single night. I didn't think it was good for me. Like I just, I realized it wasn't good for me. Oh, I started changing my relationships with people and how I viewed them. Cause I felt like it was making me, you know, icky inside or Hey, I no longer now go and, and crush myself into the ground after a hard day at work. I now make adjustments. And guess what? The reason why I was able to do so is because I was taking these tactical pauses to check my resting heart rate, HRV, and create this feeling awareness. Because again, the conscious warrior system isn't just about like how we think. It's about how well can you feel. And if we can feel all of these things, you then have the ability to combat those indicators to where you can then apply the malfunction drills to allow for you to go ahead and move forward and ultimately be a fucking massive asset to your team. We have another individual in the cohort who was talking about, man, I'm not, would he say, oh, he goes, uh, man, uh, I'm not looking forward to New Year's Eve on the fucking, on the, on the truck today. And I was like, or New Year's Eve. I was like, really? Why? And I was like, I automatically was like, oh, must be high fucking stress. He was like, dude, it's the worst year, like worst time of the year for a lot of us. He was like, I've been with guys who've been in the apartment for years who just come in so disgruntled already for this day that it just makes the night even longer. And my question to him was like, well, what are you doing to combat that? And he was like, well, I've already trained it, you know, slightly lower intensity than I normally do. I've hung out with my kids, spent time here at the day with my family, and I'm ready to rock and roll. And the question was like, well, if you didn't do this course, would you have added that in before going to He's like, no, no, not at all. And you're like, so now you're understanding how to think differently to associate with this feeling awareness to allow for you to go in and have a very successful night. Our successful shift
1: mm. yeah and and kind of just so you you kind of don't don't worry that george and i have like completely off the rails we are still super nerdy about training and and kind of the, the stuff in the gym but the thing with the thing we found that's been really cool with all this stuff is it makes anything that you you do train wise so much more potent because yeah. the body like has more resources to like not only put out in the gym but you're like better able to recover from from these different yeah. kind of stimuli. Well, so it, it just kind of amplifies everything. Well,
0: so that's where now we can go ahead and talk about the occupational exertion units that we kind of, well, I mean, we kind of pulled it from the sports science side of the or the sports science side of the house from a training load uh, number. And we were like, well, maybe we just apply this to like the occupation, right? We just take the hours, put into minutes. We take RPE one through 10, we do that. And then it gives us your occupational exertion units. And, you know, when we did this, it gave us insight to the, like how everyone perceives their job. I mean, you had individuals who are like high tempo from a physical, psychological standpoint that are like having exertion numbers of like 5,000 to 6, 7,000. And then you have individuals who are sitting in a desk for 12 hours a day stuck behind a a building where they can't do anything. And their, their perception of their occupational stress is like 14,000, 12,000, 11,000 occupational units. And to be, and and to give some kind of, you know, example or connection to that, someone with a 5,000 occupational units is probably going to be, you know, working an eight hour to 10 hour shift at maybe a, what, like a three or four RPE. And we're probably fucking the math up, but yeah, Matt's going to do it real quick for us. So we can like give you an example of what that really looks like compared to someone who's at 12 hours in their job all day and at an RPE of an eight or a nine, you're just like, wait a minute, you sit behind a desk for 12 hours a day and you're, and it's the psychological stress that's an eight or a nine, your physical stress is nowhere near that. So it's like, well, how do we approach the individual from that standpoint be like, well, maybe you need a little bit more physical stress instead of psychological stress which we talked about earlier it was like, well, let's throw in a lower aerobic training session, let's throw in some more walks, let's throw in some more movement work. Hey, instead of going in there and doing a full training program, maybe you adjust some of the sets and the volume and intensity by 10 to 15, 20 percent, and it gives it to you.
1: Did you get that number? Yeah, you you're you're pretty much bang on. Yeah. So slightly, slightly higher than that, but but that kind of yeah, that kind of ballpark. And and again, like we um just like in the in the, the sort of the training world where you use exertional units to kind of put like a, like roughly quantify uh, internal training load, like perceived training load. This, this number is quite individualized because obviously George is going to perceive supposedly we're at work at the moment, even though it just feels like chat just feels like chatting to a mate, but like George is going to perceive something very differently to me, to somebody else. Um, so again, that's kind of what we, we would sort of, caution you comparing that to somebody else. But where it where it can be really valuable is like um if you if you can start to get like a bit like weighing your food, if you can start to get a rough ballpark of like, okay, well this this day was around here for me, this day was around here for me. And and that's a that's a kind of a a high day, a low day or a a medium day, however you however you want to kind of quantify it, then kind of taking this this on a stage it then allows you to kind of look at if if on on Monday you you had like a really high day, a really stressful tough day it then means that you kind of can start thinking about well, what do I need to do throughout the, the, the day or the, the kind of the time between when I start my next shift in order to get like as close to kind of the get the balance back in the black as it were like how what do I need to do to get back to that kind of yeah that level where I'm not going to get swamped. I think that's, that's kind of where we find particularly like in, in, in this world where people come unstuck is it's not the one-off like crazy shift where everything's kind of burning, be that literally or metaphorically it's, it's, it's more like the kind of months where things are pretty stressful and there's no, it's like relentless that that's kind of where like burnout seems to be a real problem. And and you just, you're not getting back to zero each time. Yeah.
0: So like, this is the idea here, right? So when we take the, the training load RPE or the training load from the training side of the house, you know, as a coach, I'm going to look at the full week of total training load points. So if someone's experiencing, you know, let's say uh, a 300 on day one of training, then they experience a 500 on day two, then they experience of, uh, uh, 300 on day three, and then Thursday is a rest day. So they experience 60 points, and then all of a sudden Friday they experience another 700 day. Saturday ends up becoming a 500 day, and then Sunday is a 60. Take all those points in that seven day period, and it's going to give you a total number now. I can track that number for the following week. And if that number continues to climb, we know that we're adding on a lot of stress. So it is my job as the coach to manipulate the training program to have undulations of those accumulation of numbers per week to get the proper stimulus and adaptations and, and, over, and, uh, and super composition as a whole. So now the reason why I'm sharing this is because that's what we ended up taking the occupational exertion units. All right, let's go ahead and take each day for this week and go ahead and look at your total number right? What is your total number? Oh, wow, you're at a 5,000 on day one, you're at a 3,000 on day two, you're at a 7,000 on day three, you're at a 4,000 on day five, day six, you're at a 7,000 on day, uh, and then on the weekends came around day six and seven, because I missed four. Sorry, guys, day six and sevens are rest days, because you're off. Well, now those are compared to 60. So now you accumulate that total seven-day period. Cool. I end up hitting 25,000 occupational exertion units Sweet. All right. That's a baseline to know. And then next week we go ahead and look at it again. All of a sudden, now you hit the same number. Well, if you can understand that, we then can start looking at how do we go ahead and lower that number per day when we're coming off a shift. And this is where that recovery point system came into, and we started talking about it because everyone was doing it without even realizing it. The strategies and and the the interventions that they were throwing in to help lower and combat occupational stress is literally what we ended up just taking and being like, all right, well, let's just put point systems to it. Right. So the way we would take that is like, for example, if day one, you had 5,000 occupational units. Well, when you get done for the day, do your check-in, see where you're at. All right, cool. You took five minutes to do some kind of tactical pause with your eyes closed, some breathing work, or maybe you just kind of wrote something down real fast to like let the day go. Well, that's considered recovery points. So now you just took away from your occupational Units total for the day. Sweet, you get home. Now you eat a really good meal, right? And you've eaten really good meals throughout the day. You've hit your three meals plus two snacks throughout the day. Now you can add more points to that by taking away your occupational units. By the time you know it, when you're going to bed, you've now taken off fifteen to two thousand occupational units up to that point, point. and you're going to get seven and a half hours of sleep. Cool. That's another thousand points off. Cool. Well, guess what? Now, instead of going into the next day with an accumulation of 5,000 occupational unit scores or points, the next day you're going in with 3,000 or 2,000. So now you have now just manipulated and changed your ability to handle stress, meaning that maybe... That first two weeks, you were hitting 25,000 occupational units throughout the seven days. But now you started intermitting these, these strategies and these recovery protocols to where now your job is just a stress, but you're perceiving your occupational units much lower because of the, the strategies that you were doing to lower, that, capa- or lower the, the, that bar to improve your capacity to handle your job.
1: Yeah, kind of like the credit card analogy we used earlier. Oh. It's like like the work is the is kind of what you're you're like spending, if you like. That's the cost, and then anything you can do to kind of uh, like pay that bill back, yeah. that gets you closer to the the black, getting back black before the next day, and and kind of to go full circle, what we were talking about with with people who kind of uh are in that sort of relentless like weeks and weeks and months and months of of work being pretty hard you just that's when you kind of get that like that decline in and that horrible feeling of like Shit, i can't pay this back like this is like the debt is starting to spiral and in terms of in terms of like the the strategies that george was talking about for like paying paying things back that's gonna be very individualized so some people it, it's really hard for us to kind of allocate like well for sleep that's going to be this amount of points food is this amount of points because that's going to vary on on what you a have access to and what's kind of like um what's kind of a, applicable in your environment or situation um but we almost see that as a positive thing because it allows you to like you it kind of empowers you almost to figure like like we have with the cohort figure out what's what's going to work for you given your unique like environment and constraints yeah. and things
0: like that. Well, and so that's the reason tying it all back to like when you're saying, like we saw PRs across the board, even if they weren't hitting the training sessions every single day, or if they weren't hitting them mass prescribed, we had no injuries either throughout this whole cohort mm-hmm. whatsoever, right. following the training programs off of the soft lead stuff. And realistically, what took us away from like checking that art, like the the, the softly programming and perception was our first pilot case study when it was like, oh no, like we can't test this, and because we have to then just communicate and help the individual manipulate their ability to train to where they can still get that same prescription that we're looking for. Because again, their perception of stress for the day was already either super high, super low, and we can go ahead and adjust that. And I really love the fact that we're using color codes now from a black standpoint. And I'm taking this from... Alex Halden, uh, or I forgot his last name, but he's a big time free soloist. Um, and he does, you know, I when I train and I do these routes, I try and stay in the green for as long as I can, which gives me the ability to play around in the yellow and the red. When I start feeling myself get into the red, I know that I have to back off and get back into the green because my ability to uh, to handle stress or the capacity has now minimized. So Mm -hmm. by staying in the green, I have a massive capacity to handle stress. And that again was a big piece when I took this occupational stress idea and was like, okay, cool. If someone's occupational stress for the days in a red, well, then they shouldn't go in and train super hard. But if they're in the green, they can get after it. But if they're in the yellow, they might want to make some adjustments so they can relieve that and still keep that buffer. So again, from a credit card standpoint to a stamina bar standpoint, to the cup and rock analogy, however you want to look at it and you want to determine At the end of the day, what we found with this case study and the project or the program in which we've developed and again, and continue building and making better is that we are just teaching you how to manipulate and lower your occupational stress points so that you can stay an asset, not just again, to the individuals at your job, but also your life, right? So where you can be a hundred percent for your wife, kids, or maybe your dog, or maybe just you're a single person and you just enjoy having that that I guess you can say peace of mind <laughs> as much yeah. as you want to say that, Um, because yeah. that's another big thing we got told, right? Is like, I'm actually at peace with a lot of this now. Like my head is not over to the left. My head's not to the right. I'm kind of just sitting here and I'm like really happy about it. And that's super powerful to be like, wait a minute, just by helping you adjust sleep, looking at food differently, talking about what your heart health is and then psychological state and then teaching you how to manage your nervous system and then telling you how to implement all these things to help combat your occupational stress daily has now taught you to like sit in a very healthy headspace. Like, you know, I I was telling, yeah, you're just like, wait a minute. I was telling fish about this the other day when I saw him, it was just like, I was like, dude, I don't know. I don't know how to like promote this. I don't know how to like, you know, get this into more people's hands from, you know, maybe not a case study perspective, but people will just, and, and you know, it's was like, I don't know what the next step is, but to talk and share this information in a very uh, professional manner to allow for people to, to like, Oh, what is softly doing? Yeah. I know they're great at strength conditioning stuff and they help athletes get ready, but they're looking at a totally different side of the house. And let's just be completely honest. We share this with a few people where I'm at the point where I was like, man, we shouldn't have shared that with them because now, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. They're just doing it in their own way now.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess, like, ultimately, that's uh, I, I, again clearly, I'm not, I'm not from like a, a business or like a marketing background. So, um, take this with a pinch of salt. But like, in terms of, in terms of genuinely adding value, like, um, I guess, from like a what would you say? I like, like through kind of like altruism, if you like, like adding adding value to the community not just kind of the like the the dollar value on it it's it's just finding out like where are the almost conducting like a swot analysis like a needs analysis like where where are we struggling where where is this like where's the failing point of this population And, and hence like to come way full circle like back to those first conversations you had with me about like i can see there's a problem here but how do we like how do we plug that gap like how do we how do we stop this burnout? How do we stop kind of the mental health issues? How do we, how do we kind of like start slowly turning this ship? Um, and I, I think maybe you just have to keep like, you have to keep doing those analyses. You have to keep looking because the, the issues that we're dealing with, with the guys like today are going to be very different in five years time, 10 years time, because like the, obviously the world and society is moving on, but particularly things like warfare, like the nature of what that looks like is going to be crazy different. So it doesn't make sense that we apply the same techniques we're using now in 10 years time. And, and kind of like you were saying, like to one of the real benefits of, of Softly as a company is the fact that it's it's a private organization. So unlike our experience in our previous lives, we're not going to be stuck using a framework that was bought into 10 years ago that worked really well and still having to kind of make it fit today. We're able just to keep adapting Um, so yeah i think that's kind of
0: that's that's where we're at right now my
1: perspective yeah yeah, that's kind of where we're going right like what was the next
0: yeah we can have and the yeah dude it's i didn't mean to cut you off matt but it was kind of one of those things where dude it's you nail it on the head every single time you're like huh all right cool like that 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 makes sense The, the questions i have you either have answers for or you add more questions that i have to answer and that's it right like continue talking about this and being like hey look like you know, this isn't rocket science this is literally just taking like the variables and the control in which we have in our own behaviors and just making some changes that ultimately allow for us to live the life that we want to live um is huge and it's massive yeah. and you know when we go back and look at like the idea you know when i stated like the imitations the 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 greatest form of flattery we've always been that company we've always been that individual for, you know it, and again it's because we are making changes in a very small manner. And and, and I'm excited about it, dude. You know, continue bringing more information this year. And we're going to be pushing a lot more educational side of the house here this year as well. And I'm excited about that because there's a lot of information we have, dude, that we can share with people. And it's just you know, we can write in a book, we can put it on a a coaching platform where people will take a course, but you know, us sitting here talking about it on a podcast or in front of a camera and a whiteboard, I think really hits home a little bit more because of the fact that people can sit here and relate and be like, Oh yeah, I know exactly what they're talking about. I know how to make those adjustments and I know where I need to go. Um, is, is awesome.
1: So it's finding ways to kind of complete the loop, like finding, like, like you said, it it's, whenever you do kind of something something like this whenever we chat there's a, that danger of it being like an echo chamber where because we kind of like you said we come at things very differently but we have the same output like the same end goal it's very easy to kind of like almost sort of not believe the hype is the wrong way of looking at it but like um you can kind of i think you kind of convince yourself of things that aren't necessarily true or are not yeah. aren't necessarily like what people are facing so having opportunities like like they the running this cohort through, or hopefully, when we can kind of get out and start meeting people and coaching and presenting in in reality again, that's how we can get kind of the feedback of like, well, maybe we can make this bit a little bit better, or maybe we can tweak this to better fit what you're doing in this niche environment here. um And that that's kind of the the super exciting stuff, I think, is that ability to keep evolving rather than being like, this is what you're delivering; it has to be exactly the same for the next five years. Go.
0: Yeah, nice. No, That's I'm cool. with you on that, dude. It's, it, it is really cool. So if you guys are interested in learning more about what the Conscious Warrior System is, please head over to the previous podcast under the Lunch and Learn series, and you will see all the chapters that are in relation to it. And please take a look into it. We know that there has been individuals who weren't on the cohort, but actually kind of did the cohort on their own from listening to the podcast. And we've seen great results from that as well. Um, you know, I had an email uh, just recently, and I'll, I'll share what it says uh did i share it? i said i sent it to you right man i think i got it for you
1: yes yeah i'll have to put it up
0: but what i was going to say was again just by listening to the podcast and applying a lot of these things to his daily routines the individual was like man I'm, I'm handling work better i'm enjoying life i'm feeling really good and you're just like man that's insane to understand that like that is literally um you know it, it you know a yeah, real
1: world kind of application. Yeah, like real application.
0: World. Again, yeah. going back to this, when we first had the conversation at the beginning of the show, was where, you know, we're not taking people out of this high stress environment and take them into a low stress environment. What we're doing is we're taking advantage of their low stress environment at home and outside of their high stress environment, implementing these things and then allowing them to apply it then. So the the, the email was this, and I'm not going to use person's name, but it was like, hey, man, I just want to reach out and say thanks uh specifically for work to put into the performance podcast and the conscious warrior system series applying all that you've discussed in the chapter has dramatically changed not only my training day-to-day life the days of waking up absolutely smoked and having no drive or have no energy to get my training in are gone man my run and ruck times have dropped in ranges i've never seen before or I've never been close to. I've been happier and just feel ready to go all the time. I truly believe the most impactful part of this has been my dietary changes. It's nuts how much better it has made everything. Just wanted to reach out and say, thanks. Your work has made a big difference. That's again, smallest worthwhile change. That's where we come to work every day. (laughs) Yeah, dude, straight up, man, (laughs) straight up. So again, if you guys notice, it's like, again, how do you find those smallest worthwhile changes and the only way to find it is by doing and having those actionable steps by throwing in those tools when you need them. So, again, appreciate your time on the, uh, you know, listening to us ramble about this topic. You know, I, I love this, this stuff. And, again, like I said, Matt and I are still super nerds when it comes to strength and conditioning in the tactical space when it comes to all that stuff. But I do believe as professionals we have to expand our own knowledge as well. And this one here, this project that we've been working on for the past year and a half that's finally now pretty much been executed it opened the doors to learning how to tie all of these things together and finding intersecting points that allow for people to really better themselves, you know, from a human perspective, as well as a professional perspective. So, um, you know, guys, if you guys have any questions, you know where to reach us, email myself, george at softly.com. Well, matt at softly.com and keep an eye out for more podcasts. We got some really cool podcasts coming out with, uh, different individuals from different walks of life. You know, like I said, we, uh, I haven't told Matt this yet, which you will now hear on the podcast. But uh, going to talk to someone who was working quite uh, working for quite some time for the H two F program in the Army and has left left cool. it because of because of that has left it because of the uh, the things that were promised and the changes that were going to come and haven't happened. Okay. And he made a he made a very very dramatic written out post on LinkedIn that. <laughs> that sent <laughs> NSCA Wahoos and everyone else through the roof about what he had to say about it and a lot of people in it. But I I was very intrigued by him, by the way he explained it, because of, again, the things that we are focusing on. Again, we have nothing against the NSCA, we have nothing against the H2F program. We just believe that, again, from our standpoint, from actually doing the job and working in this field, that you know, there's a lot more to it than just the physicality or bringing a strength conditioning coach and a sports psychologist and nutritionist and throwing them into a room with tactical professionals. There has to be a different approach. And that comes down to common law, common language and a universal communication between coach and athlete at the end of the day.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I can't argue with that. So yeah,
0: Again, guys, thanks for your time today. If you guys have any questions, again, like I said, reach out to us. Um, If you have any, any topics that you want us to kind of go into and talk about, send them our way. We're all about it. But till then, guys, thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you guys soon.